Um, so I got a text message at 12.18 a.m. <laughs> I'm just sitting on the couch. My phone dinged. And um, this was the message that I got. It said, spiritual maturity equals empathy. Show me someone without empathy. I submit their faith is stuck in place. Their spirit is settled into a comfortable parameter or comfortable parameters. If you see others hurting and don't seek understanding and love, your mindset is that of a Pharisee. Rules and laws are above love. Never let me stop growing. I promise you to do the same. So I got that text message from Matt, who if you've been listening for a while, you know, it's kind of like, you know, off, off and on again, my running mate for this podcast. And um, obviously, if you've been listening, you've, you've heard by now that the, this is the type of thing that we do. We, we text random things in the middle of the night. <laughs> um, but what was, why'd you text me that? Well, um, I don't know if it was in reference to being said in a podcast. I mean, it was a, you know, an open heart moment for me, especially you can tell the timing. It's like, I almost wanted to text them back like, no, I've not been drinking. Because uh, <laughs> we do random texts. We usually at 11 o'clock at night, it's usually like, hey, did you see that? Whatever. Uh, something in the media or, or it's usually not a deep thought like that. But, man, with everything going on, um, and I, I won't be vague about it, just the civil unrest and everything with uh, George Floyd, um, death and everything that's happening from the rioting, to the peaceful protests, to um, just the change that we're seeing, um, I, I have really had an emotional roller coaster type situation with a lot of stuff. Just you know, self introspection. Um, man, spending probably too much time on Facebook some nights, reading people, you know, opening their hearts out, but just really for myself taking some stock on, you know, my reactions, my initial reactions to things that happen or are happening, why I have those reactions um, and what those mean to me and are they good, are they bad? Do I need, you know, to update, you know, do I need a new version like on your iPhone, like get that update to, you know, the, the new iOS. And uh, so for some reason that just kind of came out of me and I feel like I saw a lot of my friends dear friends lack empathy um, really hang on to like narrative or find like a, an angle and stick to it when they really know in their hearts that's not what this is about they just wanted to be more contrarian they didn't want to you know be somebody that says you know this this is a bad thing this is just altogether bad and there needs to be justice there was a lot of that and man I don't know I just it was it was a heavy couple of nights for me after Maria went to bed and the kids went to bed just watching everything reading and trying to for myself understand you know something that to me I've never or not put in as much thought into you know I'll say you know I'm of course I'm, I'm, I'm a white guy well I'm Armenian but I'm white um, and I've always been somebody that would consider themselves completely non-racist non-biased um, I don't need to pull stats out and say how many friends or whatever but like 
I, the culture of, of African-American culture and, and hip-hop and, and, you know, I'm sitting here in Timberlands. If I wasn't in Timberlands, I've been in Air Maxes. Like, I can't, you know, there's a little bit of judging. I didn't know myself, like, how much of that culture have I engulfed into my personality over the years. And, and so for a lot of it, I felt like, oh, these bad things have happened, like, you know, I, I'm evolved. I, I got a lot of this, you know, this, this, you know, I'm on the right side of history. But as this has happened this time, I, I believe with George Floyd and and everything that's gone on around this, there's a lot of things that I've even taken stock of myself. I'm like, wow, I do have some inherent racist corridors in my mind, not purposeful, but that I need to check because there's been times where for myself, um, just even having self-thought, not I don't get on Facebook and, and blast stuff out, but where I would see a, an article or read a news story or get, catch a blurb on something stupid like Twitter, and my immediate reaction was, well, yeah, but, well, that's why they did that because oh, you want me to be sad for you because and now you do that. I always, it was just like this feeling that Satan was pulling me out of empathy and into judgment or into um, almost, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just this idea that this can be solved pretty evenly with like a, you know, A plus B equals C. Like they shouldn't be doing this and that because they did this, this guy did this and that's the, the solve for that problem and when it's really far more messy and i think i hope that more people are taking stock not to be virtual signalers not to be putting stuff on facebook so they can feel good about what their their life is but like truly an individual um reassessment of how we talk about race how we how we deal with that how we even think about people that are different color i'm not just talking black I'm talking all shades, all nationalities. What I do for a living, I talk to people all over the country um, and have clients from all over the country. Literally every race and creed I've, I've probably uh, worked with. And even then I think of, did I have the empathy to talk to them now? And I'm, I'm kind of going back and forth. So it's a really long-winded answer, but man, it was, uh, and it still is something that I think, you know, are we really, really viewing what's going on in the world today with empathy, with love, and the way that Christ would? Or are we having kind of a fair, I'm, I'm going to create a word here, pharisaical. Is that a good word, Setter? It works. Okay. So a mind of a Pharisee, a pharisaical mind where it is, you know, over-logical, over-explanatory, over A plus B equals C. Instead of just seeing hurt and pain and finding love and empathy and understanding. And so that was, that's been my exploration over the last 10, 10 or so days as we've seen our country go from pandemic to riot state. Yeah. Um, so as a, as a 35 year old black man that, didn't grow up in America and in so many ways still learning about American culture and what it means to live here. Um, you talk about empathy 
I, I grew up in a re- very, very strict Christ-centered home. And I sit down and I um, limit the amount of news that I, that I watch and pay attention to. But when I sit down and I, and I, and I see what I'm seeing in reference to the riots and the, and the race situation, you talk about empathy, I have a conflict because, and, I, and I'm not saying this to be pious or to be, you know, look at how righteous I am because like you, I have pockets in my own thinking and my processing that is filled with prejudices and, and, and racial tension and, and dislike. But when I sit down and I think about these things and you talk about empathy, my first reaction is I feel empathy toward individuals on every side that don't know who Jesus is. And sometimes I don't know what to do with that because in on one hand, I am a black man. So I'm like, okay, well, you know what? This, this is directly related to me. Yeah. Um, when I say that, I mean like I, I live in this place and there are going to be times where I'm going to be looked at through racist lenses. I'm going to be looked at and automatically have things attached to me because I'm black before someone knows who I am. So, so that's, that's the reality. That's the facts. But when I turn the TV on and I see people rioting, I see people, I see peaceful, uh, peaceful protests. I see ones that are not so peaceful. I see hurt. I see pain. My empathy is, man, if these people would know who the savior of the world is, this reaction would be different. And then I've lived here long enough to where I've been forced to think about myself in a way that I've never had to think about myself before as a black man. And then there's parts of me that's like, but wait, you can add, you can you have you can do something to add to the fight. You can do something to fight against injustice. And yes, I know as a Christ follower that there is a part of me that can do that and wants to do that. But most of my empathy starts with, man, these people just don't know don't know who God is, and that's why we see what we're seeing. The next level of, of empathy is just the sheer pain, just the sheer pain you see on everyone's face. You see the pain on the face of a police officer who is a white male, and you know that he doesn't want to be there, and you know that he doesn't feel the way that people on the other side of him is screaming at him that's that's the way he feels and then you look at the face of say you know an 80 year old black man and you could just imagine the things that he's seen and heard in his lifetime living in the country and you see the pain and i empathize with that i empathize with that because really you and i know because of our relationship with god the only thing that's going to take that pain away is a quality relationship with christ yes there's rules and regulations that could be put in place and maybe need to be revisited and reworked and changed to make our society a better place. Yes, there could be more checks and balances. Yes, there could be more accountability. But at the end of the day, um, my empathy is with with people that just don't know Christ. And this is interesting. I've had these conversations with other black people. And when I say that, sometimes I get labeled as being brainwashed by a white Jesus. And then I get thrown into another conversation because, well, they didn't hear anything I had to say because they think that I'm somehow trying to you know, erase my blackness or increase my whiteness because of me being as Christ-centered or Bible-centric as I am or want to be or attempt to be. 
and and address these issues through through the the truth of scripture and i've been told to my face that i've been brainwashed by the white man i've been brainwashed by a white jesus so it's it's very conflicting you talk about empathy and sometimes like you said you find yourself um wrestling with those thoughts sometimes you you just have a knee-jerk reaction you say you know what i am just going to behave sinfully i am going to behave i'll never forget this um it's not the most wholesome movie but you've seen the movie crash Ooh, yeah, years ago. It's all. Oh, it's, it's kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. well. It's kind of old now. But there's a scene in the movie. I will never forget this. Maybe you remember it. I don't remember who the actors are. But it's two black guys. They're sitting in like an Escalade. Mm-hmm. I think it's like is Ludacris in that movie? No. I want to say Don Cheadle. Yeah, I don't remember who it is. Okay. But there's two black guys. They're sitting in like a. They're sitting in like a Escalade, and I I think it's Sandra Bullock. I can't remember. She's there's this white lady walking down the sidewalk she sees them they look at her she looks at them and she like pulls her purse close to her chest Mm -hmm. the two guys look at each other and at this point in the movie you realize that these are two very civilized black men and the two of them look at each other and they kind of like you know roll their eyes and shake their head she walks by she kind of looks over her shoulder the two of them are sitting there they're having a conversation and they look at each other and they're like, well, she thinks that all black men are bad and that we want to rob her. And that's not who we are. And the other guy's like, but if that's who she thinks we are, we probably shouldn't disappoint her, right? And they hop out the car and they rob her. <laughs> it was ludicrous. It was ludicrous? And I'm trying to think of the other guy. I can see his face. I don't know who it is. His name's Lorenz Tate. Lorenz Tate. Yep, that's exactly who it is. Yeah, yeah. Ludacris and Lorenz Tate. And then I think it's Luda who says he's like, well, I mean, that's what she thinks we are, so yeah. let's not disappoint her. And I would be lying if I didn't say there are times where I have had a reaction like that in my mind, where someone looks at me, they behave a certain way because I'm a black man, because of what they think they know about me and my sin nature just grabs a hold of my heart and my mind, and I think, well, since you think that's who I am, yeah. then let me let me show, then let me not disappoint you. Then, so you have all of you like you you wrestle with that, and I know that that's a sinful thought. That's nothing to do with me being black. That's just sin. Um, and I, sometimes I don't know what to do with that. So you empathize with those people who don't have Jesus. There's so much pain. There's so much hurt. There's so much injustice. Yeah. Um, you empathize with the people who are being incorrectly labeled. I mean, honestly, and this is hard for, uh, you know, for maybe, maybe uh, hard for a black person to think of this way, but I empathize with racism. I empathize with people who are racist. I, like, that has to be a tormented life to be so filled with that much hate and feeling obligated to, like, express that hate all the time. I even have empathy for those people. Like, it, it just, it's just tough to be in that spot. Yeah, and it's hard. I mean, I think, too, the number one thing that uh, I am realizing is for years I've been able to be like kind of both sides of the coin, like empathize a little, but then like, you know, Hey, you know, if you weren't walking down the road or if you weren't in this situation, like maybe that wouldn't happen to you. And like, we don't do that for any other, any other race, especially I should say, we don't do that for white people for myself. Um, and, like, that's kind of blind thoughts that I'm seeing in myself is, like, 
I used to be like, I get it. You know, racism has been bad. We, you know, slavery, like slavery and everything. And he kind of tried to roll it up into like, I get it, man. It was tough. Like, and then, but there's so many things that like, that's so wrong. That's, I mean, let's, let's just call that spade a spade. Like having that. And, and I will say the only advice that I'll give anybody on this podcast, especially if you're a white guy or girl is like the idea that you can empathize or somehow understand slavery and everything that it did to African Americans and their culture and their just their upbringing and I mean even things in the South still in a lot of ways or in the last thirty four years have have been sort of like there's just not a way for us to be able to just say like oh yeah yeah like I came with Cedric like oh yeah you like soccer okay well I like baseball what sports like I get how you can like a team. Like, we don't have a frame of reference for that in our, you know, for most of us, I should say, in our in our history. And so that's the stuff I've been trying to check myself with. A lot of the stuff is, like, either just justifying it or sweeping it under the rug or just saying, like, hey, oh, yeah, I know you're probably pretty mad. But that empathy side of things, what I really want us to to push my my friends and the people in my life is – when you are about to hit that keyboard, when you're about to be a keyboard warrior, when you're about to, you know, say your piece or, or even talk to a coworker, is this com does does this comment show Christ a or and does it have empathy? Now, this coming from if you know me, one of the better trolls on Facebook, where I like to make fun <laughs> of people on non-serious issues. So, like, if you're mad because you're your stroller won't fold in your van. Like, I'm going to make fun of you for that. But I'm talking on bigger issues and race issues and things of that nature. Like, how do we connect? Even the stuff we saw in this pandemic. Yeah, you know, you mentioned that about the keyboard. And look, I will be the first to say social media has allowed for so many great things. Social media has made the world smaller. And what I mean by that is I can connect with parts of the world that I can't, I couldn't, if it I couldn't have if it wasn't for social media. So there's a lot of really good things about social media, but you said, you know, I want to challenge you before you hit that stroke or hit the keyboard to reply. And, you know, when, when these types of things happen, these things, like you said, really serious things, yeah, you know, we make fun of people because of their lifestyle or where they choose to go on vacation or post a funny picture or they can't get to stroll in their car. Yeah, we're going to troll them and, and have a good time. But with these with these types of things, you know, I actually want to encourage you, instead of using the keyboard, how about we go back to having old-fashioned conversations? I've had people say to me, hey, I have some questions for you about this race stuff. And don't get mad at me, but you're the only black person that I know. And is it okay if I talk to you about that? Yes. The answer is yes. I'm not an, I'm not an expert on race. I'm not an expert on blackness. Um, keep in mind that I'm not from here. I'm learning so much about American culture every day. But yes, please come and talk to me. Um, and not just me, but somebody else. Talk to other people who are in your circle, whether they're black, white, Asian, Hispanic, doesn't matter. Yes, like let's, instead of just being behind the keyboard, have a conversation. Say, hey, can I sit down and talk with you? I saw something on the news. I saw something on social media and it aggravated me. I saw something on social media and it made me sad. I saw something on so social media and it made me happy. And all of it is centered around a very touchy subject of race and murder and injustice and police force and law enforcement and i'm just gonna go ahead and say this right now i'm pro-law enforcement by the way i'm very pro-law enforcement 
Um, so can we sit and have a conversation about these things? I'm not saying don't use social media because social media allows you to connect to people who aren't in your, you know, right there in, in, in person with you. But how about you swing the pendulum the other way? How about you say, hey, let's pick a Friday night when we're open and let's contact three other couples and get babysitters and say, hey, can you guys come over to our house? We're going to make some food and we want to sit and talk and we want to talk about what we've seen on the news. Are you okay with that? People are going to be shocked. They're going to be, wait a second, you, but this isn't a game night. This is let's hash out our feelings about what we're seeing. Yes. The good, the bad, the ugly. We're Christians. We're going to call a spade a spade. We'll call you out when we see sin. We're going to allow you to ask questions. We're going to allow you to have an emotional reaction. We're going to pray afterwards. That's how we, I'm talking about the, the Christian community. That's how we make a difference. I'm not going to get offended or mad or angry if you text or call me or email me and say, hey, I have a question about what I'm seeing. Can I have your perspective? I'm not going to get angry. And I think most people won't. I think if you, if you know, if you know another black person or another minority and you say to them, I'm having some issues here and you're in my circle for a reason. I'd like to talk to you about this. Yeah. Um, so yes, we could use our keyboards, but I can't tell someone's position when they're when they're behind the screen. And it really allows us to be bullies. It allows us to be all all high and mighty. It allows dismissive. us to be yeah, it allows us to be dismissive when when we could just sit and have a conversation. Yeah, and that's I mean, I can tell you that um friends of mine um that are different races, whether they're African American or whether they're Brazilian, whether they're, you know, anything. Um on Facebook, it literally went, I just, what you said, I saw a wave of almost like, you know, when, when they say uh, about grieving, like the steps in grieving. Yeah. And, and I don't know what they are, but I saw like just confusion to anger to um, basically just um, wild, you know, frustration and then when I saw a turn, almost every one of them said, if you are, if you want to know what it's like, or if you have some questions, reach out, hit my inbox or hit my messenger or text me or call me. Like every person that I know, as far as it's a minority, black, whatever it is, if you come to them and say, hey, you know what? I grew up in West Salem, Ohio. The only black people I've ever seen are on my TV screen, or at least the ones I've had a relationship with or know. I don't know anything. I'm starting from from page one. Tell me what it's like. Give me some information. Can I ask some questions? I'll tell you what, that's the safest form to actually say something that may actually be from your gut that is a little racist because they'll be like, okay. Like, because they'll know that it's a safe space and there's a place for you as a person that has blind spots to grow. And the same, I think, too, the willingness on the other side to understand that, um, you know, ignorance is what it is. It's ignorance. A lot of time it's, it can be viewed as hate or frustration, but when people are brought up a certain way or just are, are not well-versed in different cultures, like, it is confusing to see what black culture is. It is confusing to see what – I mean, it was really confusing to be friends with Cedric in the beginning because it's like – Here's this black guy. He's a black guy. Okay. So I know. And it's like, yeah, okay, music, we're on the same page. Sports, what? Tennis? No, nope, I don't know about that. Like, you're the only black guy I know likes tennis. 
And then we'd be watching TV shows and he'd watch, you know, more like satirical shows than I would watch. And I thought we were going to watch Martin together at night and he wanted to watch Seinfeld. And I don't know if I've ever seen a full <laughs> season of Martin. <laughs> so so it was it was something for me. It was like when we first uh, like we're, were roommates together, you know, I had all these preconceived notions. I got a black roommate. We're going to have this or that. And he was in a lot of ways because of his culture was a, a lot more European than I was and a lot more proper and a lot more um, professional um, and guarded. And, you know, to look back at that relationship and how it grew, like what would it be like if we had that type of openness to each other, especially when we had these kind of situations where, boy, a, a, a grave injustice was done. And, you know, this to me is where Satan really, 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 earns his paycheck, we'll call it. Because when he sees something like this and injustice, boy, is he an agent of chaos. And so when you want to say, hold up, hold up, hold up, let's have a nuanced opinion on what's going on here. You know, the cop did this wrong, but he couldn't have done this wrong. And if you look at this, and you, there's another angle of this video, and you, you want to have a conversation about that, you're missing the point of everything that's happening. And, and Satan does a great job of turning a peaceful riot into a, or a peaceful protest into a riot where businesses are burned down. And you actually saw videos of people. I saw videos of people that were doing peaceful protests and there would be people that were kind of coming there to just take advantage of a the situation. They were grabbing them and throwing them to the police and be like, this is not what we're talking about. You guys are screwing this up for everybody. Like we're trying to make something actually happen here. And you guys want to, burn down a target like this antichrist idea and man it's it's you know and this podcast is not for us to have the answers at all and it's not for us to advocate against or for police or or anything like that and i know cedric said he's for police i am too i mean i've family members friends but as a christian as a person for myself and accountability and i i, I can wish that others will have this kind of stances where's our empathy at where is you know look past the 10 second burn that feels good on a facebook post where you're like oh yeah look at this stat you're wrong to look at the person you know the video for when george floyd died was so affecting and so haunting uh for what it was and watching all that bad stuff happen realizing that what if that was your uncle or that was your cousin or that was your son or that was your whatever how how would that change your life and seeing that that is part of a, a culture almost now and african-americans like i've never known that and and it's it's just uh it causes for a lot of self stock taking for sure one of the one of the best ways you can start the empathetic process is to seek to understand i mean let's just like let's just the facts are every human being wants to be understood. Everyone. You remember what that was like when you're 10, 11, 12, 13, you're going up through your teenage years. Like, what are the things? Nobody understands me. Nobody understands me. Every That's that's what we all want. We want to be understood, right? I want someone to look at me and say, I've met you. What's your name? I heard you say this. I heard you preach or I read a devotional that you that you wrote. And you know what? I have some questions. I want to get to know you. Why did you... 
Why did you have this perspective? Why? Like, that's the best way to empathize with me. And you could even say, I may not know exactly the position you're coming from or why you did this. Or I may not have the same experiences you've had growing up. But if if you seek to understand people, you are already on the right side of of the solution, right? Like, I don't, I don't, someone asked me the other day since all of this has happened, you know, about white privilege. And obviously we know that there's all of these definitions out there. And I said, look, one of the simple ways to think about it is you as a white person are not forced to think about the fact that you're white every single day. And I, as a black person, I'm forced to think about that every day. And the person said to me, in conversation, they said, because I see you all the time. I don't think about you as black. I never even remember that you're black. I was like, that's true. But guess what? I have to remember that I'm black. I'm, I, you have the, uh, you have the option of forgetting that I'm black. I'll never have that option. And I said, you know, whether you are, like, I'm not going to get into all of the, the political definitions of white privilege, but for me, that's a privilege that you have that I don't have. And it's not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not pointing a finger. I'm not mad about it. I'm just saying that's the facts. Every time I hop out of my, like, think about this, right? I drive an all black Jeep Grand Cherokee. The reason why I drive that car is because I like black vehicles. And if you've seen me dress, you know that I, black's my favorite color. It has nothing to do with my skin. I like black, right? So 95% of my wardrobe is black. And I drive that car because I love it. First of all, I like Jeeps. I'd own three of them if I had the money. But so I like that brand of car. And I like I like a black vehicle. I like the way it looks. It's just a, it's just a slick looking vehicle. But and I'm I'm not exaggerating. This is just the facts. Every time I go to fill my car up, and I hop out of my car, I'm I'm reminded, and the thought is, you're a black man in an all black vehicle filling your car up, and people are gonna look at you. Every time. Sometimes it's a passing thought. Sometimes I, I chew on it and mull on it. Sometimes I'm, I'm, I pulled up and, you know, I'm listening to some old school outcasts and not even thinking about it. And I realized, you know what, I probably should turn this down because black man in black vehicle listening to outcast, someone's going to attach a label to me that doesn't apply to me. And I'm forced to think about that. Yeah. Matt, you drive, you've driven an all-black vehicle before, and you like Outkast. You've never had to think about that. You pulled up, listening to some, listening to some love below, and fill your car up, hopping, and you pull away. So, so when I think about when I when I say that, I mean like I'm not I'm not finger, like I said I'm not finger pointing, but it's just one of those things. It's just you are afforded the ability to waltz through life, if you will, in that in that small simple example of not being cognizant of the fact that you're a white man every day. And I'm not, I don't have that. I'm, I'm not afforded that, that ability. I go home and I don't think about it, right? Like, I don't, I'm, it's, it's different. I didn't grow up here. So it obviously, I have, I, it's, been, it's been something that's developed over time. And those are just the little things that I think if we sit and have conversations with people, it, we empathize, we gain perspective. I, after having that little conversation that I just said with the person I was talking to, you could see the expression on their face. And they said to me, I've never thought about it that way. I've never thought about the fact that I walk into the grocery store and I, and, and I, I, as Cedric Beckles, as a black man, I don't walk around looking at white faces thinking all these white faces are racist. I don't do that. I'm not, not, I don't, I don't just, I don't walk, I don't walk through my life thinking every single person that is in front of me is a racist individual. I don't do that at all. But there are times where 
I can definitely tell by someone's reaction that they're viewing me as a black man, not viewing me as Cedric. Um, and that's that's just a privilege that you're afforded that I don't have. Yeah, and I, I think one of the things I want to submit um, <clears throat> to you today, or an idea, one of the things I think that, that can help us is white privilege, black privilege, all of these labels, all of these... Um, these things that our world wants us to assign ourselves to, whether it's our belief system, whether it's uh, you know a code of, of of how to act, what team you're on, whatever. And like I said earlier, with Satan being just you know an agent of chaos, like in my heart of hearts, and as I've went through everything this week in my mind and, and prayed and had some meditation, is. <sighs> To simplify everything, or, or, to me, all of those things, because you see both sides and it's tough to act. And like you said earlier, like I align myself with one thing, but I have to give up some of my Christianity to that or to be on that team. Or I'm on my Christian team, but I have to give up some of my my history or my blackness, yeah. basically. Cultural heritage. And uh, to me, how do we simplify things to just be like, are we acting as if we are in, we're like, I'm trying to say this the right way. Are we acting like how Jesus would act to our friends, to our neighbors? Are we being Jesus? Do we have, how would he view a situation like this? Would he sit at his house and be like, well, yeah, but you're wrong. Well, yeah, you know, you, there's two sides to every story. You know, that guy deserved it or that girl deserved it or you can't treat somebody like that. If you're going to treat something like that, we're going to treat you like that. That's how we do it. And when I look at all the stuff that I see, my friends who, and people I wouldn't even consider friends, but see just on social media sometimes say, it's like, I see no, I know you as a follower of Christ. I know you know your Bible. I know you love the Lord. But those comments, I don't see Jesus at all. Yeah. I see flesh. I yeah. see, I see, well, you can't just have all of this. That's not fair. I want to have some rightness. And if we can distill everything back to like, are we showing Christ in our daily lives? Are we saying, and you look at so many different parables and, and, and stories in the Bible, and especially in the New Testament about, you know, the, you know, the shepherd and his sheep, you know, going after the one that was, that was injured of the herd and leaving the 99 you know, if you're part of the 99, were you going to be screaming, "What about us? What about us? Don't leave us"? Or do you see do you see strength in numbers because you're you're part of the healthy team? Like Jesus going to the to the hurt, going to the one that needs the most help. You know, we can talk about. I don't really want to get into the the labels of everything, but it's pretty clear as you sit here. And really, if you honestly look at the demographics and things that are happening in our country, who needs it i was lucky i've i'm a white guy my parents are married kept me in church i've had a great relationship with them i know nothing about prejudice i know nothing about racism towards me and but how it changes is that the people like in my opinion people in my position who had no knowledge of it think outside of their, what they would like to see or what they feel comfortable with and say, how do I show Christ to the one out of the, out of the hundred? 
Yeah, I think too, like our our sinful nature and our human desire to be heard sometimes causes us to put ourselves above what Christ would do. You know, like we know the old adage, what would Jesus do? You just said, you know, how was how was what you just said on this post or what you said to this person, how was that Christ like? How was that showing Christ? And I think we get to that point where we allow ourselves to show up before Christ because we want to be heard more than we want the truth to be heard. And that's a convicting thing to think about. Mm-hmm. We want to be heard more than we want the truth to be heard. And sometimes that feels like I'm going to lose my manliness. I'm going to lose my leadershipness. I'm going to lose my blackness if I say, hear Jesus through me instead of hear me. And then, okay, well, Jesus is somewhere behind me after I get done with my rant. Oh, by the way, yeah, I love Jesus as well. And I think for us as Christ followers, that's the challenge. How do you become a Jesus mouthpiece, a Christ follower, a Christ-like person in your behavior, in your thoughts, in your actions before you behave as white man, black man, white woman, uh, black woman, Republican, Democrat, American, Bahamian, Russian, brown person, <laughs> brown person white person, yeah. orange person. Yeah, Asian person. Like, how do you, how, like, I am a follower of Christ, and I, and I think we have watered down that thought, that phrase. Like, we just think that that's, it's just another tag that we wear. I'm a Christian or I'm a Christ follower. But that really should cause us to behave differently. And you talked about going, you know, you talked about the parable of the lost sheep, you know, which is this parable is specifically in Matthew 18 and also in Luke 15. And it's just a powerful thing to watch Jesus leave, be so concerned about one. He leaves those other ones to go after, to go after that one. And say that this one matters, and I think we could we could mirror that same behavior. We could say, you know what, we I want I want to go after the people that don't know Christ. That's who I want. I want them to know that I'm thinking about you the way God is thinking about you. I'm thinking about you the way Christ is thinking about you. And the other thing too is re- like remove the race element for a minute. I think as Christians we need to become more sensitive to the loss of life absolutely we because of tv movies video games i'm not going to go on a rant about that because it'll make me sound old but we've been desensitized to those things right we've, we've been desensitized to death we've been desensitized to the loss of life and god and christ takes life very serious life is very precious so i think we need to increase our sensitivity to the loss of life. Every time a life a life is lost, that that should be a hurtful thing. And especially if that life was lost without Christ. So I, I think I think these challenges are good. I think it's good for us to to hash these out. Obviously, you know, we're we're talking about this is just a conversation between friends. We have we obviously have some opinions about about what we've seen. You've heard some of that come out. But I think at the end of the day you could I think what we're experiencing with each other is just heartbrokenness over the state yeah. of our world. And it's because people don't know Christ and they're filled with all of these other things. And it just comes out in such an ugly way. Yeah. And the thing is, instead of spending the time and energy saying, typing, whatever, what everybody else should do, well, the world would be different if it was like this, or we shouldn't do this, or, you know, we should change this. What if we all took the time and introspectively changed our hearts 
and looked and took and audited ourselves and say, you know, what I'm seeing out there, am I, am I talking, am I promoting Christ? Am I promoting his, his kingdom? Am I showing that through my words and my actions? Or am I virtue signaling my, my golfing buddies? Or am I, am I making sure I wink, wink, say something that I know the uh, guy over in HR is going to laugh at? Or am I going to make a funny comment or be sarcastic in a way that, you know, my family would like? And my dad would get a chuckle out of or my mom. And understanding that these words that we have, we see now, have power. Social media, the other thing is that it does is it has consolidated power in a short period of time. Like, you've, you know, 15 years ago, if somebody were to have, 20 years ago, if somebody were to have um, said something crazy in a park, like that one girl in New York City, it would have been a funny story between friends, but now we have phones and we can record these things and now that person lost their job. And it's because of social media and this and the ability of that herd mentality to to make people actually lose their job, which is uh, something that 20 years ago was never thought of to be a thing. The power that is in social media, the power that is in your words, the power that is in your influence in social media, I don't care whether you're... 2 million followers or 200 followers or 10 followers, those words matter. And are those words that you're putting on the page or those words that you're putting on your screen in situations like this? I'm not saying you got to be serious all day long. You know, we have a lot of fun. We, I'm, I'm about as sarcastic and as irreverent as the next person. But in these situations, are we showing Christ? In the opportunities where we see hurt people calling out on Facebook, calling out on our social media platforms, calling out on TV for change, for love, for empathy. To me, it's our duty above solving the problem to show that first, because that's what Christ would do. Christ shows empathy. And to me, that's that's kind of what I wanted to talk about today. Just like how do we how do we as an individual take our own stock of this and yeah. get better? Um, in Luke chapter 10, another parable, it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Um, and we've been told the parable of the Good Samaritan, mostly when we were children. So, you know, you're taught it in a way that's like, hey, be nice to someone when they need help. But the parable of the Good Samaritan, we could literally insert that into our day. And you have to remember, like this, these two groups of people absolutely hated each other. Mm-hmm. And in the parable of the Good Samaritan, we see this person make a conscious decision to go against what they've been taught, against what everybody else, how everybody else is behaving, and make a decision to say, you know what, I'm going to do what's right. This person, regardless of the fact that they're from a different culture and different race and different ethnicity, they need help, and this is how I'm going to help them. And not only am I going to help them right now in this moment, but I'm going to pick them up, take them to where they can get the best help, take care of them till they recover, and even after I leave, make sure that they have some things that they need so that they can continue to recover. It's a great story, um, and it's a great snapshot of how we could behave. And just, I mean, like really grasp like we we don't I know why we don't teach it to little children that way, but 
when you really grasp that story, these two these two groups of people, hey, I mean, you think what's going on now about rioting and, and being in opposition to, you know, two sides, if you will. You know, this this parable is it, it really it really captures the hatred that these people had. And in that moment, we saw one decision by one person to reach down and help regardless of what they thought or what they've been what have been told or taught to do. In a lot of ways, it made a huge change. It, it made a huge ripple effect in how people from different groups viewed and saw other people. So I, I like that. I, I like it's. And at the core of that was empathy. Yeah, empathy. You saw somebody down and he said, you know what? I'm not going to just walk by. And whatever that is in your life, I'm not saying that we all need to start organizations and nonprofits and do things if, if you know, marching, protesting, and, you know, making signs, you know, and being in downtown Worcester, if that's the thing that you feel like, you know, whatever you need to do. But are we coming from a place of empathy? empathy? Are, we, are we doing that um, and showing Christ in our everyday walk? And if we're not, how do we... How do we just stop? You know what? You don't have to apologize. You can just change. You can just be silent for a bit. That's the thing I wrote on Facebook actually this week. I was just like mouth shut, eyes open. That's what I need to be right now because everything that's happening, I can't put a place on. I can't be like, oh, yeah, that's what I felt like when the Indians lost to the Cubs. Like I, that's that's about as bad as it's been in my world. Like, And I can't you know, personally put a a, a finger on what's happening emotionally with the people that are affected. So what I can offer is empathy. What I can offer is encouragement. And all, most of it is listening. I, I have employees that are minority. I mean, I've called them in the last week and just be like, man, what does it look like for me to support you in this moment, in this time? Like, what is it? And the, a lot of them say, I don't know. You know, I just, the fact that you called me is what I wanted. So that I know that this is a safe place. Or, you know, friends on Facebook or people that I went to college with be like, man, what is, what's the move here for me? Like, I'm a, I, this, is, this is uncharted territory for me. You know, I don't, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm going to be the one that wants to, you know, bully other white people into, you know, certain things. And, you know, a lot of times what I said, they said was like, the fact that you just said, what do I do, is the beginning. And it'll, you know, God will, you know, illuminate that opportunity. So... Yeah, it's heavy stuff. I mean, this this year has been pandemic to, you know, race war, race riot, you know, race protests. You know, in a way, it's really good. There's a lot of things that I've read and some some organizations that are, I think, now are less just have actually got a game plan. And. There's data out there now that people are able to, to create, and um, I think that we're looking at changes in a lot of areas, which would be great. Yeah. So I think the challenge is simple. Um, check your heart. Are you empathetic to those around you? And if you're serious about empathy and change, let's start to let's start by seeking to understand. Have conversations be Christ-like in your behavior. And I like what you said, mouth shut and eyes open and leaned in and listened intently so that we could learn from each other, empathize, grow, and make actual 
long-lasting Christ-centered change. Because, I, I mean, we got kids. And do, like, I actually had Miles, my oldest of seven. Oh, he came to me Friday after work. We were just kind of hanging out, talking. He's playing his little Nintendo Switch, and he stopped and was like, hey, who's George Floyd? I was like, excuse me? He's like, oh, I was over at Grandpa's, and he had the news on, and they were really mad about it. Like, what? Like, and he didn't have the story. He was like, they're really mad at him. And I was like, well, they're not mad at him. And, you know, I kind of stumbled through a conversation that I thought I was pretty prepared to have. But then when I was actually faced with it with Miles, um, it I kind of got into it and said, you know what, let's play your video game. Daddy needs to think about this a little more as we get to figure this out. Because, you know, my kids don't know right that, that arena at all right now. And yeah. that's, you know... I don't want them to live in a world that we have these conversations with. This we are heavy-hearted because of the disruption in our world because of this. Like, how do we solve this so that the next generation truly lives in a post-racial, post, you know, protest, all that stuff. Get that all situated so that everybody feels heard and everybody feels as though they are. Uh, the, their culture is encouraged, and we don't have these racial issues. I mean, I'm, I know that's maybe a little bit hyperbolic or at least like utopian, but uh, man, I don't want that for my kids. I don't want my kid twenty years from now talking to his buddy on a podcast or whatever they'd be doing then, <laughs> and and being like, "Well, did you hear what happened here? Somebody, you know, somebody crashed their space car into somebody else and." I just don't want that to happen. I, I, I want to be a part of the generation that solves it. Yeah. Well, uh, I guess take it for what it's worth. As <laughs> always. It's messy. Yeah. As always, you can uh, send in questions or comments. Uh, actually, we'd like that. We'd like to hear from you. Sure. We'd like to hear from you. So we appreciate the listen. Um, until next time.